You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new centerfire rifle ammunition, Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet, and it comes in a variety of cartridges, including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06, and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com, and while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Knock, knock. Who's there? Opening day. Opening day who? Opening day for bow hunting season. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but I am completely excited um, about the month of October. A lot of things are going to happen in the month of October. And as you listen to this, if you're listening to this Wednesday, September 30th, that means that I am somewhere from my home to where I'm going to hunt, whether I'm in Iowa or South Dakota somewhere, I am on my way to a South Dakota mule deer hunt and I I went on this hunt last year with a good buddy and due to the dumb coronavirus and how this whole thing's played out I'm having to go on a solo mission this year I really wish uh, he could be with me but unfortunately it's not in the cards this year so we're running a solo mission this year and uh, me and old Betty old faithful my truck we're gonna be backcountry wrangling some mule deer and uh I couldn't be any more excited about it. The only thing is, is as my kids get older and they start to ask more questions, I have this little uh, feeling of guilt 
come over me a couple days before and even the first day of the hunt because I feel I have this really strong connection to my family. It, it just keeps pulling me towards my family. But at the same time, I have this really strong connection and this gravitational pull to go and do things in the outdoors, whether it's uh, an elk hunt or a, a backpacking uh, trip or, or something out west. And these two things pull each other constantly. And I find myself having to balance all of the, this lifestyle that uh, I've kind of chosen to live. And it really, honestly, it's been getting harder and harder to leave my family on some of these trips. But also, like I said, I got this pull, almost like, uh, what's that movie? If you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. There's, there's this voice that is telling me, head west or head to the woods or head to wherever you need to head to get your fix right and um again I, it's hard to explain it's just a feeling that i get this time of year but i'm on the road i'm heading to south dakota and uh, i couldn't be more excited today's episode features justin czar from bowhunting.com now you probably have heard justin on this podcast before if you're a longtime listener but uh this is a good old-fashioned bs session where he recaps some western hunts he recaps some how his elk hunt got canceled and he just kind of had to flip the switch to whitetails in nebraska he talks about uh deer hunting in illinois and then it's a good old-fashioned bs session man uh you've you've heard the bs sessions before so you know it's just a shoot from the hip episode and i love doing them so justin czar is always a good guest i hope you guys enjoy it but before we get into today's podcast we have to do a commercial and that commercial is ozonics now you guys have heard me talk about the functionality behind ozonics and ozone right and how ozone works and how ozone destroys uh, scent and disfigures your scent profile to the point where downwind a bucks a buck or a deer will get confused of what they're actually smelling right and different deer have different reactions to it some may spook some may uh, get curious and come closer to the stand, but they can never really peg what it is that is causing that scent, right? It's, it's, it disrupts your scent profile, is what I say. And I've had a lot of good experiences with it, so much that it's probably mandatory on whitetail hunting, right? It is a mandatory tool or a piece of equipment that I take with me all the time because I feel like it does you know so many wonderful things while in the tree stand uh, downwind and it, like it protects my backside so to speak now outside of the woods outside of the tree stand outside of the ground blind I am using that to cleanse my clothing in the dry wash bag and the new locker that Ozonics has and I'm telling you right now that that functionality does just as is is just as important in my opinion than it is in the tree i feel like my access routes when i'm walking in and i've, I've done a dry wash uh, cycle uh, with the ozone my ozonics has cleansed my clothes and i feel just i feel fresh and there's certain times depending on 
what the thermals are doing and what the wind is doing. I almost feel invisible in the woods. And that is a God's honest truth. That is a, an awesome feeling when you know that your scent regimen is on point, uh, especially, you know, with ozonics. Now, a lot of people will say, oh my God, it's so expensive. We'll plan for it. Right. I'm not going to say it's not expensive. Uh, and that's relative depending on who you are, but if that's your only issue with it, is that it's so expensive, then what I would recommend is going and borrowing one from a buddy. Go get your moment that you need with it and then start saving money and buying it. And I'm telling you right now, it's worth it. So that's me and my opinion. Uh, as you know, they pay me to promote their product, but I've been using this before uh, I've been promoting their product. So uh, good people who work there, they're passionate about the outdoors or passionate about hunting. And I love working with companies that are passionate about the products and the lifestyle that they market to. So uh, if you want to find out more information about Ozonics, visit ozonicshunting.com. And if you decide to purchase a unit, go online, uh, ozonicshunting.com, purchase your unit, and at, at checkout, enter the discount code NFC. One nine, and you will receive a free dry wash bag with a purchase of one of their units. So NFC one nine, go check them out. We are done talking, done with the intro. Please subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Please subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation RSS feeds. Lots of great content. Please subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast because I. Uh, I, I really want you to <laughs> go leave a review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Follow me on Instagram, follow me on Facebook, and I think I'm done now. Now I'm done. Let's get into today's BS episode with Justin Czar. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me right now at this very moment, Mr. Justin Czar. Justin, it's good to hear your voice, man. Dan, it's been too long, my friend. I know. Glad glad to be here today. So I'm going to kick this episode off with kind of a funny story. Um, oh boy. It's, you know, I'm a stay-at-home dad for the most part. I watch my kid while my wife works, whether she works from home or whether she's working from, uh, you know, the office. I'm in charge until like 5 or 5.30, and then I can start my job. Well, my wife goes to a grocery store that we have in, in Iowa called Hy-Vee. And Hy-Vee has these special energy drinks. They're like five calories and they got a little bit of caffeine in them. And they're, they're, you know, there's not a lot of taste in, in them cause there's no sugar, but you know, it's fruity and whatever. So I have, a, I have like three of those a day. Well, <laughs> does this thing have a, does it have a brand name or is it just called it's like, like Hy-Vee energy drink? No, <laughs> no, it's like, it's. It's like Bublé. It's like, I don't know why, but I think of Bublé. Michael Bublé? Michael Bublé, but it's not. I, don't, I think it's called like Bubbly or something. It's like a, a carbonated enough. water, whatever. Well, I'm busy. Like, you know, I got my kid running around. I got this uh, construction going on in my house because we're remodeling. And I'm just not like, I'm not thinking. I'm All I'm doing is reacting to my son trying to play with a nail gun or whatever. So I just grab one of these quote unquote energy drinks and crack it up, you know, have a sip. And, you know, I'm like, man, this tastes a little different. Oh, well, like you keep going, you know, and then, you know, later I go, I crack another one, keep going later. I got go and I crack another one, probably about an hour and a half between each one, nothing serious. And I'm just like, man, I'm kind of tired. 
And I look down finally, and I'm I've been drinking White Claws since eleven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that sounds like a great day to me, buddy. <laughs> so here I am, like judging people who drink before five o'clock, and here I am, like I'm I'm I don't even know it. I've had three White Claws <laughs> before four o'clock, and my wife my wife finally is like, I mean, do you like those things? I'm just like, oh no, I don't. <laughs> so. Oh, yes, you do. Yeah, I am not ashamed to say I, I enjoy a good white claw. Yeah. When I went, uh, we went antelope hunting this year out in Wyoming and my buddy Scott with HHA, Scott Pocken, he went, him and I went with, we drove out together, hunted, and uh, we drank an awful lot of white claws while we were out <laughs> in, in Wyoming. And like the first night we were in camp, like some other dude uh, was there in camp with us. And we're sitting around just eating dinner and just kind of, you know, BSing at hunting camp and Scott and I are drinking white claws, and like if you've met Scott, like like he's he's pretty jacked, full of tattoos, long hair. He kind of looks like Macho Man, and he's uh, he's drinking a white claw. And this guy's like, I can't believe you're drinking a white claw. And Scott, did, I'll leave out some of the profanity. Was like, I don't care what you think. I like <laughs> white claws, and if you don't like it, like kiss my ass. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> but a good time. I think that story would have been funny if I ended up. Uh, just like oh and the next thing you know i was i thought i was drinking this energy drink but i was drinking bud heavy (laughs) Uh, or or bush light how i have a question for you why is bush light like the de facto standard for like all outdoorsmen and people who hunt all of a sudden is like everybody drinks bush light and i was like I, i don't know when this happened like when was the point in time at which everybody started drinking Bush Light. Because yeah. when I was a younger man, like college days, like we drank Bush Light because it was cheap and yeah. that's all we could afford. Like right. we're going to drink crappy beer because this is all we can afford. Bush Light, ha, ha, ha. And then we like grew up and became adults and got real jobs and could afford better beer, so we no longer drank Bush Light. But now I go places and everybody's drinking Bush Light like it's some sort of badge of honor. Like, yeah. well, you... You're an outdoorsy guy. Do you have a beard? You better drink Bush Light. Yeah. Like, holy, yeah. when did this happen? Like, I, I just, I just don't know. It's a very strange thing to me. It's the, it's the I drink shitty beer to be cool, type crowd, mm. right? I'll, I'll tell you a lot this. Of them like, out there, dude. Oh man, it, I mean, and it's hilarious. Not, I, don't, I don't mind Bush Light. Like, it's not god awful. I'll drink it, but it certainly isn't like my first choice. Right. When I go to grab a beer. Right. Here's what I, when I drink Bushlight, okay, so obviously if I'm going to be tailgating or if I'm going to be uh, doing things throughout the entire day and I know I'm going to be drinking throughout the entire day, <laughs> then I drink Bushlight or Coors Light because you can drink a lot of them. I mean, sure. I, you know, there's, you can drink a 12 pack in a day or whatever. <laughs> I mean, this, this, I don't know what is acceptable it's been a long time since i've drank 12 beers in a day but but it's like you know if i'm just sitting down you know i'm gonna drink something a lot heavier than than a bush light but if i'm gonna be out mowing the yard doing yard work or you know drinking doing something it's an all-day activity then i'll drink something that i can you know hey i'm gonna drink some beer but i'm not gonna get drunk doing it Fair enough. So, then I don't know. Bush Light is the go-to. Yeah, I mean, my and very... You get the ones that have, like, the corn can. You're like, yep. support the farmers, drink the one that looks like a 
cob of corn. My, God, uh, man, I don't know. Good for Bush Lights marketing people. Right. Good on them for like making everybody want to drink their crappy beer. Right. It's cool. I mean, it's it is literally the same marketing mentality that it goes into the hunting industry. You're not cool unless you use this product. Absolutely. So it works. Right. So good for them. And I, I can actually remember the first bush light I ever had. Uh, uh, we were out at my buddy's uh, farm and his dad had like three 30 packs of bush light just kind of stacked in a corner in this dirt floor barn. And uh, so we're like, man, you think he'll notice if we take one? And we're like 13 or 14 years old. <laughs> right. And it was warm and it tasted weird. And I was just like, oh, man, this I don't know if I like this stuff. And, you know, we, we shared this lukewarm can and, and then, uh, next thing you know, I think I might hold the record for drinking bush lights. <laughs> so you would think that if your first experience with beer was a warm bush light, that like you would never drink beer again. Like if I, <laughs> like if I wanted to like make sure my kid was not going to be like a beer drinking alcoholic, I'd right. be like, here, drink this warm bush light. Right. Because I know you won't like it. Right. But apparently, that's not the way to go. I guess not. All right. Justin Czar, how are you? You know, surviving, man, yeah. like the rest of the world. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a hell of a weird-ass year, I'll say that. Yeah. Man, and I know a lot's probably gone on since the last time we talked, but I, I kind of want to get into a recent event that kind of happened to you. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, you were driving on your way to an elk camp or an elk hunt when somebody tested positive for the COVID and then shit hit the fan or break this, break this story down for us. Yeah. Uh, so Todd Graff and myself and, uh, a kid that's interning for us, Nick, we're driving out to Colorado to go on an outfitted elk hunt, so private ranch, and it's a, a, a ranch that's in the, what's called the Ranching for Wildlife program in Colorado, so they're like special tags, so it's not like, even like we could go somewhere else. So Todd's been out there a couple times, been there with a few other people, um, tons of elk, good success rates and opportunity, and so we decided, to like, Todd and I don't hunt together much, and honestly, like, dude, I haven't been on an elk hunt in 10 years, so we decided, like, hey, man, we're we're what is it, 2020, like, dude, I just turned 40, it's our 12th year doing this, like, let's go do something, like, bigger than just, like, uh, you know, deer hunting together at his farm, so we decided to go on this elk hunt, one of our team members, Josh Sturgill, was going to fly in from Tennessee and meet us there along with uh, a friend or a business partner of his, so there was going to be a whole group of us going to camp, I think it was, like, a day or two before we went out there, Um, we got wind that like maybe one person was like not feeling good or something possibly had it. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't presented to us as like a major deal. Like it was under control. We got one guy that might've been sick type of deal. So this was last week, Monday, uh, me and Todd and, and Nick met at Todd's house, like super early in the morning. Todd's got a little uh, RV. It's kind of like a sprinter van that's like got a big RV back on it, right? So we were going to drive that thing out there. We we hooked up the enclosed trailer. We threw all of our gear, bows, coolers, everything in, and dude, we hit the road. And we were probably six hours into the drive. I think we were right about the border of Iowa and Nebraska. 
And uh, sure enough, we get a call from the, the outfitter that we're going with, and he's like, hey, dude, we got a problem. He's like, so turns out that one of the guys that was in camp last week uh, was not feeling well, knew he wasn't feeling well when he came to camp, but of course he didn't think anything was wrong, just a cold or whatever, um, ends up testing positive for COVID, and basically, for all intents and purposes, like got everybody else sick. Jesus. Um, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I believe that there was like eight or nine guys in camp hunting the prior week, and I think like six of them that we knew of had tested positive at that point for COVID. Jesus. And like two of them had left to go home because they weren't feeling well. One of the guides tested positive. The other three guides like weren't feeling well. So they basically just said like, we're shutting the entire camp down. And rightfully so. Like everybody was sick. We're shutting the whole camp down. Everybody needs to quarantine for a couple weeks. And like we ultimately like as an outfitter, they need to get their guys healthy and they need to clean everything because dude, they still got two months of hunting in front of them. Right. Right. I mean, they got all of rifle season and mule deer and everything else that they do. So basically our elk trip, like they gave us the opportunity of like, Hey, if you guys want to come out, like we'll give you your tags and you guys could just go wild on the place on your own. But I was like, dude, we have no elk calls. Like not that we couldn't stop and buy some, but like I did not prepare myself to go out and try to kill an elk. (laughs) I was more or less prepared of like tagging along with a guide on an outfitted hunt and trying to go kill an elk. And I was like, man, you know, these hunts are not cheap. And I was like, for the amount of money we paid, like, I don't want to go on a DIY hunt. Like, sorry. Like maybe if you give us all of our money back or half of it or whatever, like then maybe, but the other problem was like the ranch that we're on, like a lot of it, like you're, you're driving four wheel drive trucks or UTVs to where you need to go. And then you're getting out and hunting from there. Well, dude, we're in Todd's RV. Like we're not driving this thing anywhere. Yeah. Like this is just a disaster. So, you know, we were in, I think we were in like council bluffs, Iowa, and we're sitting on the side of the road at like a rest area, trying to figure out what to do. And Todd's like, well, screw it. We got the trailer. We got all of our hunting equipment with us. Like what else can we do while we're out here? So I was like, well, dude, we're basically in Nebraska. Tags are over the counter. Like we could in theory, like just go hunt, even if it's just public land in Nebraska for a few days. And, uh, well, Todd was like, don't we, don't we know anybody in, in Nebraska that we can call, like to take us hunting or whatever, give us a place to go. And, uh, you know, we've got an outfitter that we do some work with that we, we build a website for it's uh, Heartland pride outfitters. Um, the Heartland bow hunter guys hunt with them a ton guys from Aussie Oak. Like he's a bunch of people like that. We know hunt, hunt with this dude. We build his website. So we called him, his name's Cody. And we're like, Hey man, we got a, we got a weird question for you, but we're, almost in Nebraska and our hunt got canceled. Like we're thinking about just like deer hunting Nebraska. Do you got anywhere we could go? And he was like, well, yeah. He's like, you know, I've got, you know, a Western camp and you could come hunt mule deer and, and antelope. He's like, or I can, I can get you into one of the whitetail camps. You know, there's really nobody there right now. And I had already killed an antelope this year. I was like, I don't feel like going antelope hunting again. Let's, let's go deer hunting. Right. So, uh, he basically like snuck us in called one of his guides who I think was probably supposed to be off for the week and was like, Hey, I got these, this group of dudes that's going to come over there and they want to go deer hunting. So he basically gave us an address to a, a farmhouse that they use out in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. And we put it in the GPS and off we went, you know, that's the biggest thing that sucked for us was like, we didn't have any of our whitetail stuff with us. So we had like no safety harnesses, none of our own tree stands or climbing sticks. We had no camera arms. For the trees like we were prepared to go on a, an elk hunt yeah you know so we ended up stopping at 
uh, a Cabela's and then ultimately a Shield as well because, like, everybody's just sold out of everything right now. So we had to get safety harnesses. We picked up a couple extra stands and just, like, like bow ropes and bow hangers and just, like, all this crap that we didn't have with us. So we ended up, you know, getting a, a minimal amount of gear as we needed to go chase whitetails for a week. So that's what we ended up doing. We uh, we stayed in Nebraska, South Central Nebraska, and we, we deer hunted for a week. Cool, man. Let me ask you this. Are you going to get your money back from that elk hunt? We're going to go next year. Oh, so we okay. Basically just, Push. We basically just kick the can down the road, yeah, and we'll, we'll go next year. All right, cool, man. Well, so uh, break down this, uh, this last-minute switch then. So... You go and you get uh, some gear to whitetail hunt. You 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 finally lock down a piece of property to go hunt. Um, yep. What what was it? I mean, what was your expectations once you knew this? Once once you knew the switch just happened, and your mind has to flip from elk to whitetails. What was right. your expectations of hunting Southern Nebraska? Honestly, dude, I didn't have any expectations. I was just like, oh, well, it beats working for a week, <laughs> right? I mean, right. that was my only thing. It was like, all right, well, who knows what the hell. I mean, we were pretty dang close to Kansas. Um, I know Nebraska's got some good deer. Obviously, this guy's got some good ground. Um, so basically, so what ended up happening was we, um, he gave us, you know, GPS directions to the house. We ended up getting there. Um, we stopped and bought all of our food and everything on the way. Uh, the next day, uh, the guy who ended up kind of guiding us, like semi-guiding us, his name's Blake, ended up coming out and just saying, like, hey, we got a bunch of farms in the area. Um, these are the ones that we're running cameras on that we know there's, you know, legit shooters, bucks on them. So we're going to start on those farms. Like, there's other farms that we can hunt, but we don't have any intel that there's, there's good deer on them right now. Um, and obviously if most people have ever been to Nebraska or driven through it, it's like a giant cornfield, at least the, the piece that we were in. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's just these tiny little creek bottoms and river bottom ground, you know, it's basically cornfields, cattle pastures or, or creek and river bottom ground. That's it, yeah. you know? So, um, you know, we kind of just took, uh, you know, Blake's kind of guidance and said, Hey, this is the property these are where the stands are at on the property obviously we know what the wind's doing like you guys can go pick wherever you want to sit like these are the stands that are good for for that wind so we kind of started the week doing that and then once we kind of got the lay of the land and and you know they got to know us a little bit more they gave us a little bit more leeway in terms of like us being able to go in and like hang our own set and, and do kind of our own thing rather than like go to the fully guided thing yeah um which was nice, you know, because I mean, for a lot of people, like the fully guided thing is awesome because they don't, they just, they get stuck in a stand and the guide says, this is what the, the deer are doing. And, and we think this is a good spot. Like for, for me, like I, when it comes to an elk hunt where I don't know what the hell I'm doing, like I'm a hundred percent cool with a guide saying like, Hey, we're going over here. We're going to call. You're going to sit here. Like, dude, I'm all about that. Just show me where I need to be to shoot one of these things. But when it comes to deer hunting, like I feel like I know what I'm doing anyway. Right. So I kind of want right. to have some say in what we're doing. Um, so again, I mean, once they got to know us, cause like, dude, most outfitters aren't just going to let guys run rampant on their property. It's just right. not what they do. Yeah. Right. They got to worry about, they got liability issues. They've got other hunters. They got to think about later in the year. So they don't want to screw things up. And, you know, so, you know, it took us a few days to kind of build some rapport with them and, and get things, you know, figure each other out and, um, you know, it ended up being an awesome trip, dude. I tell you what, we saw a hell of a lot of deer. We saw some, some really good bucks. Um, man, I mean, dude, 
when you think about like, hey, I want to go on a whitetail hunt somewhere, you don't necessarily think like, I want to go to Nebraska on September 18th. Right. Right. That's that's not necessarily what people are doing. So it wasn't like it was the best time of the year to hunt. But man, I I mean, dude, to be completely honest, I was within. 10 or 15 yards of killing what would have been the biggest deer I've ever shot in my life. No shit. On the, on the second night of the trip, yeah. Okay, so let's break some of this down. I, I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, we've already talked about the terrain, but while you were there, funny time of year for whitetails, right? It's this this shift, you know, the September shift is what some people call it, um, where, you know, they've just come out of velvet. They're starting to get a little bit more active with the scrapes and, and laying down sign. Um, what were the deer doing out there? A whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Feeding, feeding and feeding. And that was about it. So, you know, when you think early season whitetail hunting, you think September, you know, most people are thinking, green food sources i know that's what i think like yeah. if i want if i'm going on a september hunt like i'm looking for alfalfa i'm looking for green beans i'm looking for clover somewhere um that's green well i'll tell you what in southern nebraska right now there ain't shit that's green yeah. it is brown other than the leaves on the cottonwoods it is brown as can be it is drier than hell they haven't had rain in forever there's little water to be found um so what we ended up you know, it took a couple of days to really figure out what, what they were doing. Um, but for us, like the key was trying to figure out where these deer were bedded at and get as close to them as possible. So rather than hunting food sources, because the problem is everything is food out there. I mean, there's, there's millions of acres of standing corn right now. And then there's a ton of CRP and grass in these river bottom areas. So like anything that they can't farm ends up kind of just becoming like these pockets of CRP and big grasses and the deer are just living in them. And the problem with that CRP, like as great as it is for seeing deer and holding deer and it's bedding and it's everything else, but like they literally stand up out of their bed and they just feed and they don't have to move. They don't have to go anywhere. So, um, you know, ultimately what it was was trying to hone in on figuring out exactly where the deer were, were bedding at and then moving as close to them as possible. Gotcha. So what would, when that, uh, that big buck, steps out uh what was he doing specifically yeah where did he come from so so we were hunting on uh like a a, i guess you'd call it a river or a creek bottom i mean there wasn't any water in it right now so it was dry but we were hunting on one of those we kind of had crp to both sides of us and uh kind of off to my left side into the north of where i was was at was kind of like the crp was like a, a hill um, that led up to a cornfield. So we were kind of more down in a bottom area and he appeared at the top of the hill, uh, right at the edge of the CRP and the standing corn and the, in the Creek line. So there was like a, a really hard pinch because if you've ever been to Kansas or Nebraska, like their Creek bottoms are like super washed out. Right. So, I mean, you're talking, some of them are like 30 foot drop offs, right? Like steep vertical. So there was kind of one of those big drops and there was maybe like a five yard wide swath of grass. And then, the cornfield started and he kind of appeared at the top of the hill just coming through that little pinch and he showed up at about 7:30. and out there i think legal light was like 8 10 8 12 something like that was was last shooting light so it was about you know 40 minutes before dark he showed up at the top of that hill and we watched him until dark pretty much for all intents and purposes till we lost sight of him we watched him when he first showed up, he was about 120 yards. He got to within about 52 yards. It was 
the closest he got. But I mean, he didn't. He moved a hundred yards, let's just say, 120 yards in like 45 minutes, and just feeding. You know, he'd have his head down for two, three minutes at a time, just feeding in the CRP, and then he'd pick it up, stand there, scan around, move two feet, start feeding again. Yeah. So that was all I could really do was watch him. You know, at this time of year, it's like. Number one, I didn't have a deer call with me to begin with. Not sure that I would have called because we were kind of out in the open. And anytime I've ever called to a deer in the open and there's not another deer around, usually don't have very good success, especially on a big, mature, you know, wary whitetail like that. So I kind of just watched him and hoped that he would feed close enough for a shot, but just never happened. Yeah. So once you saw him, did you decide to continue after this buck and keep going back to the same area or make any, any adjustments to your stand location to try to get him again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we keyed in on that deer. So this was night two. I want to say we hunted six evenings. This was the second night. So I think the next four evenings in a row, we tried to to get on him. Um, So that night that we saw him, it was a North wind. So I had the wind totally in my favor. And I always think this is one of these funny things where people are always like, everybody wants to like psychoanalyze these deer. You know, the deer gets up out of his bed. And if the wind's doing this, the buck's going to do that, right? It makes perfect sense to us because we're human beings and we, we can reason these things out. But this deer was literally moving with the wind at his back the entire time we saw. Yeah. From the direction he came to the direction he was going, the wind was blowing from him to us the entire time. Yeah. So I just, I've always thought it was funny that everybody wants to come up with these theories and systems and like, you know, everybody's creating spreadsheets about (laughs) this deer. I got a trail camera picture of this deer in this place and he was moving this direction and this pressure and, and they think there's some sort of magic formula. Dude, I just think a deer gets up and he's like, I want to go over there and feed tonight because that grass is tasty. So that's where I'm going. Yeah. But anyways, um, I think, I think, I think there's trends my opinion is I think there's trends, but at the same time, for everything uh, a quote-unquote whitetail guru will preach, I can provide an example of the opposite of that. Sure. Right? They're so, wild animals, yeah. man. They're just yeah. – like, like my theory has been this. Like when a buck gets up out of his bed, let's say it's getting to the end of October, right? And he gets up out of his bed and he's like, I want to go make a scrape and I want to go start – checking a few does and if the field that he wants to go to that holds the does the wind isn't right for that field it's not like he's going to not go there right he's just going to be like well fucking it is it is what it is and he's going to go there and he might be more cautious he might be using his other senses because he doesn't have the wind in his favor um but i don't think he's going to just go the other direction i mean if deer only walked into the wind or quartered into the wind or whatever today's whitetail expert you know their opinion is like we'd never kill the damn thing right um but i mean this 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 deer was absolutely a mature animal i mean he was i don't i have no history i couldn't tell you but i guarantee you this deer was five years old or older probably one of the biggest body deer i've ever seen he had a neck that looked like it was mid-november and not (laughs) mid-september i mean he was every bit of 250 pounds or more on the hoof huge neck um, I, I don't even know what he would score. He had a monster four point side and then his other side was like a big non-typical, probably had like an eight inch base. I mean, it was just monstrous, like a huge, like 14 inch flyer coming off. I mean, it was just a ridiculous year. He still had velvet hanging off of both sides. It almost looked like drop tines. 
Yeah. It's just a, it's just an awesome, an awesome deer. So yeah, the next couple nights we, we tried to get back on him. You know, that was the only North wind we had of the entire trip. The next day it switched back to South. In fact, it was like Southeast almost the whole time, which people just don't have a lot of stands set up for, for Southeast wind. So yeah. we ended up heading, coming in, hunting the North side of the farm the next evening. Uh, we decided to leave the mornings alone on the farm. We were hunting mornings just because we were there and we may as well. Um, so, but we would go to different farms in the morning, more or less, just trying to maybe shoot a doe or luck into another deer. And we kind of left that, that farm alone in the mornings. So the next evening we came back, south wind, uh, saw nothing but does and fawns, I think, that night. But we were a couple hundred yards north of where he had come out from. So, um, so I had hunted, I think, the first three evenings, and Todd was filming me. And then the next three evenings we switched. So now it was Todd's turn to hunt and I was filming. So evening four, uh, we we still had a south wind. We ended up going back to the stand we had sat the night before because we really felt like it was a good stand. It was pretty close to where we thought he was coming from, and we still thought we had an an opportunity. Uh, So night four, um, we didn't see any deer at all, not a freaking deer one. And then as we were kind of breaking down our gear and starting to get out of the tree, we look out, we see a different shooter buck. He's probably like a mid-140s eight-pointer, um, and he's kind of coming out of the same general area that the big deer had come out of, uh, but he's he's cutting across a, a CRP field maybe 200 yards in front of us. So we're like, okay, we got two for sure shooters in here. They both came out of the same general vicinity. So we went home that night. We pulled up uh, Hunt Stand is what we're using for an app. We pulled that up. And we sat there with the guide and kind of just showed him like what we had seen for movement and just kind of asked him some questions on like what other people have seen, what was the history on the property, do we, what do we think? And we kind of settled on this idea that these bucks were bedded in this little finger of CRP that at the, that jutted out into standing corn. So standing corn on both sides of it at the narrowest end, it was like 40 yards across and at the wider mouth where it kind of met into the, um, into the Creek bottom, it was maybe a hundred yards across. It was maybe 150 yards wide. It went out in the corn had almost like a 90 degree bend to it loaded with CRP, had a couple of little cedars in it. Um, but we just had an, a feeling that these bucks were bedded in that stuff. So our plan for the next evening was to try to get in there and essentially hang a stand somewhere where we could get get close enough to them and try to kill them right Right. so it was super super windy so nebraska kansas the dude it's like it's windy all the time so it's like 20 mile an hour winds that night so we cut through the standing corn to the north of this finger quite a ways and we we come into this river bottom ground on the north side um and we we're, we're looking around we're looking around and we're just like man we're just not seeing anything that looks promising we're kind of like looking for a place to hang our stand but we're kind of sneaking around at the same time because we feel like they may be bedded close the problem that we had when we got there was like what you see for terrain on an aerial photo isn't always match up to like what it looks like when you actually put boots on the ground so it was a really deep cut this 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 finger wasn't just like a flat finger of grass like it was deep cut and we couldn't see all of it and then it's got this weird green weed that grows like six feet tall that you can't see over and so we were kind of just standing there thinking what we should do uh we found a deer bed in this real tall stuff and we were kind of like cozied up kind of tucked into this these weeds just kind of glassing 
this finger to see if we could maybe see a deer bedded in it before we proceeded before we like went out into the open and exposed ourselves we wanted to make sure there were no deer that we were going to bust out of there so we're kind of standing there glassing and all of a sudden dude wouldn't you know it that big buck stands up and he's like 60 yards 50 yards in front of us and all of a sudden todd's like you know shitting a brick he's like there he is he literally just must have just stood up out of his bed and like there's these you know the terrain there's little humps that we can't quite see over all of a sudden he just popped up from behind one of them so you know we go into panic mode i'm trying to get the camera he's trying to get his bow and the deer kind of just dipped into the cornfield where we couldn't see him anymore and we were like okay you know maybe he's just going to go in there and feed for a while and then come back or whatever so we ended up just basically saying we're going to stay put so we what time of day was that what time of day it was it was five o'clock. Five o'clock. Okay. Five fifteen. I mean, it was three hours before dark. We were not expecting to see that deer on his feet. Yeah. He wasn't spooked. He didn't. He didn't have his tail up. He didn't act afraid. Like he just was walking and went into the corn. And so we were kind of hopeful that maybe he was going to come back. So we ended up basically ditching all of our gear, making a makeshift little ground blind kind of set up in this. These tall ass weeds that just absolutely destroyed my allergies. I was like dying of sneezing and coughing and it was thank god it was windy or i would have blown out every deer on the on the property so we end up sitting there till dark the deer does not come back but we end up seeing i think five other deer came out of that that finger three bucks and two does that night and we watched every one of them kind of go on the opposite side of this cut from us and work up along the cornfield edge and head toward where the big one had gone the when we saw him towards that other tree stand so we're like, okay, well, if that's what they're doing, like, that's where we need to be tomorrow night. So the next night was our very last night. So we um, got all, dude, we freaking showered and washed all of our gear and Todd shot his bow and we freaking loaded a couple stands on our backs and hiked, you know, over a half mile through standing corn and weeds and walked up this creek bottom. Dude, it was the most like epic like in your mind setup ever like <laughs> the we perfect are going access to, route everything like, dude everything was perfect we get in there we find the perfect tree it's going to be like an eight yard shot when they come through right and dude wouldn't you know it of all the damn farm fields in nebraska the farmer is combining the oh. field that we are hunting and we dude our hearts just like sank like, did it we kick up any deer well, dude, no, what we didn't, we couldn't see this spot gotcha. from where we began to walk in. So we didn't see that he was combining until we got in there. And we were just like, are you shitting me? Yeah. You know, and the problem is like, I, I agree with a lot of people that combines don't necessarily spook deer. But the problem is like this little teeny finger, like it's only made really good and safe and secure when there's corn all the way around it. Once that corn comes out, dude, they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And he was literally combining within feet of where this deer had been bedded the, the night before. Yeah. And where these other deer had, like, literally feet. Yeah. So I was like, you know, we're like, shit, you know, what do we do? We're this far invested. We're sweaty as hell. Like, let's well, screw it. We threw the stands up. We got everything ready. And we're like, you know, maybe he didn't spook. Maybe he just held tight, you know, and he's going to come through. And as fate would have it, we didn't see a damn deer that night. Nothing, nothing came out. And that was the end of the hunt. So, I mean, it's just one of those things. I feel like when you're hunting whitetails, especially when you travel, it always, it always feels like 
it takes a few days to figure them out and really start getting on them and getting close, you know, and when we finally felt like we were really in the money, you know, we just, uh, it's just bad luck. Yeah. You know, the farmer owns thousands of acres of cornfields and decided for the first one, that was going to be the one that he took out. Was that on the property that you, like the outfitter didn't say to the farmer, Hey man, we got some guys in there. Dude, I didn't think any, I mean, it never crossed any of our mind ever. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't have any idea. I mean, he didn't know anybody was going to combine. I mean, it was, it was really nobody's fault. Yeah. You know, it is. It is what it is. Yeah. So Todd's like hell bent to try to get back for like another two or three days, um, sometime in October, yeah. like mid October. And he, you know, we know there's a couple shooters on that farm, and it's a great play. It lays out really good to hunt. They've killed good deer off it in the past. So he's kind of like hell bent to get back there when when time's a little bit better for hunting and more conducive to deer movement. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I don't know if he's going to go back or not. I'm not, I'm, I'm homeward bound for, for the duration. You know, I'm, I'm in Illinois until, until I kill two bucks this fall. So maybe he'll get back, maybe not, but man, it was a, it was a hell of an adventure. It was fun. You know, it was fun just kind of playing cat and mouse and trying to figure out that new piece of property and new terrain and area we've never hunted before. Yeah. So, it was a good time. I can't complain. Yeah, that's definitely uh, it's cool. It's just a cool story, right? Well, uh, this uh, elk camp got COVID, and so you flip it and you end up hunting deer, and you had a really good experience. Unfortunately, it didn't end with a a kill, but um, it sounds like uh, you guys had a good time, and it's it's always a little bit better of an experience when you have something to chase and focus on too, right? Sure. So, yeah. so while you were there. I, I caught one of your uh, Instagram posts and it says, meanwhile in Illinois, you must have a trail camera, <laughs> uh, uh, a trail camera out, cell cam, cell cam yeah. and you caught a big deer on it. Is this, do you have history with this buck? Yeah. Um, so that particular deer is actually a ginormous three-year-old that <sighs> I fully intend on shooting this fall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, we don't have a ton of history with him. He showed up uh, last year. He was a big two-year-old. We actually mistook him for an older deer that we were looking for on our farm that had kind of disappeared. And when the first couple of pictures we got him were, like, real close up, and they had very similar rack characteristics. So we thought it was this uh, this other deer that we were calling Flanagan was his name. I couldn't even remember the damn deer's name. We thought it was this deer we were calling Flanagan, as we got more pictures of him, we're like, dude, that's def- number one. It's definitely not him from the rack. And number two, like, that's a super young deer. Like, he had a super spindly little neck and a little body and not a lot of mass last year. But he was a good, you know, long times and a lot of them. Uh, so we actually started calling him the imposter because we thought that he was this other deer at first. So um, my buddy Mike found, uh, I think, just one of his sheds last year. He had broken a bunch of tines off and... You know, it's the same old story. You know, you see a giant stud two-year-old, and you're like, man, if that deer can live another couple years, he's going to be huge. And sure enough, this year as a three-year-old, you know, he blows up. And, you know, the picture I posted, you know, obviously it was a a, a glamour shot of him, you know, kind of at that right angle to make him look like he's a 190 when he's probably high 50s, low 60s, if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, But still a dandy, absolute dandy deer. Um, You know, the thing is on this particular farm, like – in the last couple of years, we've had two mega giant three-year-olds. This will be our third one, and we've we've passed them both. And uh, the neighbor killed one, and the other one disappeared 
the next year as a four-year-old never to be seen again. So we're kind of <laughs> like, we tried that. <laughs> We've passed 160 inch three-year-olds before and it hasn't worked out in our favor yet. So I'm not passing anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's basically my thought process for this year. Yeah. I love it how, you know, it's, it's cool that you're doing this to, and, and for everybody who's listening right now is you've learned and you've understood your environment, your environment it's very hard, very hard to get to a four-year-old uh, on yep. the on, in the areas that you hunt. It sounds like there's other guys who are after big deer too, and you've tried to you've tried to to do it, and it's been unsuccessful for you know a handful of years, and so now you've realized, hey man, this is uh, I need to change I need to change the game just a little bit for this area, and you know. Dude, there's yeah. nothing wrong. There is absolutely nothing wrong with shooting a quote unquote young deer or a three year old or one just oh, for dude, antlers. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I am the king of shooting three year olds, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I love it. You know, the one that I passed a couple years ago. Some one of my guys in the office dug up the footage of it and like posted it on our Instagram story the other day, and I caught a new wave of shit from people for passing that deer. You know, but even to this day, like it doesn't bother me. I see the video and it's like. I knew going into that season I did not want to shoot that deer. So when I saw him, there was no part of me that was like, oh, man, I really want to shoot him. You know, I never even picked up my bow when he came when he came by me. And, you know, he was probably pushing 160 inch, you know, 10 point. But the next year he blew into a mid-190s. And, you know, unfortunately the neighbor killed him. But it is what it is. I knew the minute that I passed him that, like, there's no guarantee that he's not going to get killed by someone else or hit by a car or, you know, whatever. So, you know, it's just part of the game. But like you said, man, you know, you just have to make a decision kind of for yourself personally one way or the other, you know. And if you're the kind of guy that wants to pass them so that they grow older because, like, that's your thing, like, you know, more power to you, man. I, yeah. I'm all for it. For me, like, on that farm, that's a huge deer, and I think he would look great on my wall. And uh, I would I would absolutely love to shoot that deer. Absolutely. So, you know, we've got a couple other older deer on that farm this year. None of them are as big, you know, score-wise. We have a couple probably five- or six-year-old deer on that farm, but I don't think we have one that's going to get out of the 130s. Yeah. You know, and they're they're older, and, I've, dude, I'll shoot them too. You know, it all just depends on which one I can get close enough to first. So, yeah, we'll see. I just got pictures of that deer again, I think, last night. Again, another sequence of pictures of him, and this time I got him kind of from the front as well as the side and the back. And he's a good-looking deer. I mean, he's a he's a typical eleven. He's a six by five, and I he's got a couple of little daggers on his bases that may score as well. I'm not sure, um, but he's a hell of a nice deer. And if for some reason we don't kill him this year, and he manages to live till next year, like holy crap, he's going to be a freaking dandy. Yeah. Let me ask you this on on that farm uh, specifically. Do you get very many bonus bucks, like a cruiser during the rut that just kind of goes, oh, you know, where did he come from? Not many. Yeah. You know, I wish that I would get more of those. We had one last year that came through like November 12th or 15th, I don't know, something like that. But oddly enough, the same guy that ended up shooting the the big one that I passed, he ended up shooting that bonus buck as well. But it was a bonus buck for us because we had never seen him, but he had been getting pictures of that deer all summer and all fall. And it actually told me about it because him and I talk, 
you know, on a fairly regular basis. And he's like, yeah, I got a good 12 pointer that I've been seeing. And he had sent me a trail camera picture of it. I'm like, Oh dude, that's a nice one. Uh, he ended up wandering through our farm one, one day last year and we got trail camera pictures of him, but he was already dead. By the time I checked those cameras, he had already gone back to his home area and gotten himself killed. Um, but no, man, we don't like, I'll be honest with you. Most of the farms that I hunt, we don't get a lot of bonus bucks. Like if I get, one a year that passes through for a day or two like that's probably doing pretty good yeah well good luck with that is there i mean is this buck this three-year-old that we're talking about is he uh a homebody or does he tend to roam how often is he on on your farm you know i don't if i was to go by last year when he was a two-year-old he was definitely a homebody um what's gonna happen this year it's hard to say dude it's a pretty big farm it's a couple hundred acres i only i'm running literally two cameras on it right now that's it um it's been one of those summers for me where i'm just you know i haven't run a ton of cameras i've just been i've been busy you know just trying to do stuff with the family and the kids and and you know i've done probably a little bit less deer stuff than normal so uh, i've got two cameras out on that farm and i know what deer are going to be there so it'll be interesting to see because they definitely like as they age, they their behavior changes. But like those three year olds, like let's face it, man, they're probably like some of the easier deer to kill. <laughs> they're old enough to be like big and impressive, but they're young enough to still be kind of stupid. Oh yeah, and move and, and move a lot. So you know, and that's why the last two really big three year olds that we've had on that farm, like we've had opportunities to kill them both and we passed them. Yeah. So if, if this guy does anything like the last couple did, like hopefully he's a homebody and you know, one of us will get to kill him this fall. And like I said, if not, I'm not going to, not going to cry about it, you know, cause hopefully he'll be there next year. Right. And here, I wish four year olds would do what, what three year olds do last year uh, on, on my main farm. I rattled in man, you know, you see a deer in the distance. You're like, who is that rattle? Here he comes. I did that to a three-year-old last year and he made it through this year to, again. And yep. he's, he's, he's knocking on 170, I think this year. And, um, as a four-year-old and I, you know, I passed him multiple times last year and, as a three-year-old and I, I don't know what they go through something. They go through some like mature change where they they just their whole their whole attitude changes at four year, four years old because i swear if i try to rattle him at him again he may not come in i mean he has to be at the right attitude as a four-year-old and uh i know where i'm gonna be on you know the early november this year to try to you know try to connect with him but i it's just you're you you say to yourself man this this three year old did this last year, and I've just had too many experiences where I think a four year old is going to do the same thing, and they just don't do that. Yeah, it's almost like they're different animals. It's right. crazy that one year of change in those animals that just makes a, a world of difference. Yeah. And I, and you know, a lot of it's probably you know, dude, it's probably just pressure, yeah. right? I mean, most of your bucks are getting killed probably at one, two, three years old. I mean, if they make yep. it to four. They, they are no stranger to hunting, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's just a, a life experience type thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the goal is, you know, to, to go hunt that same. The, do I think he's going to travel the same 
routes and and be check the same betting areas yes i do but i think he's going to be you know just like all most four-year-olds just a little bit more cautious in his daily daily routine um yeah so other than illinois do you have any other like out-of-state hunts you going to wisconsin this year again i'm done man i had uh i had wyoming in in august i had the failed colorado turned into nebraska in september and then it's Illinois from, from here on out. I kind of promised the wife that I wasn't going to get stupid and go do anything else. That's why Todd's like, we should go back to Nebraska. I'm like, no, dude, I am good. You know, I'm going to spend a good chunk of my early part of October. My son wants to try to shoot a deer, you know, this fall. Yep. So I'm going to I'm gonna take him out a few times. He's been practicing. We got the crossbow all set up and the ground blind and everything, and I got to plethora of like year and a half old deer on two of my farms like they're all still kind of grouped up like three and four at a clip so i'm gonna try to uh you know he wants to go try to shoot a deer and he's gung-ho so we're gonna maybe spend some time in early october doing that and then i'm just gonna focus on trying to kill one of those bigger deer you know come you know mid to late october and on so i am i mean unless for some reason i am ungodly fortunate and happen to kill two bucks in illinois you know, then I'll probably grab a Wisconsin tag and try my luck up there. Um, but if that does not happen, then yeah, I'm, I'm Illinois for the rest of the year. How many acres do you have access to? I mean, in, in uh, Illinois that you hunt? Maybe 800. Okay. Something like that in total. And that's split between three farms. And I have one farm that's really big. Um, and then I have two smaller, I have two like hundred acre farms gotcha. that I do a lot of hunting on and I have one really big one So you can... and that really big, big one's got, you know, there's only two of us on it that, gotcha. that hunt it and it's bow and it's bow only, Yeah. but it's also the, the one that's got the least amount of deer. It's the hardest to hunt. It's, it's chock full of, of buckthorn. You can't see five feet in the woods at all in any direction. So it's a, uh, it's a challenging place to hunt. That's where that big three-year-old's at. So, gotcha. um, and, and luckily for me, that's a closer to home. That's 20, 25 minutes from home. So I'm planning on spending a few more nights in my own bed this fall than I normally do. <laughs> it, I, it's funny you bring that up because everybody's like, everybody complains. They're like, oh man, I'm so tired. The rut just drags me down. I'm so tired, you know, getting up so early, man, I get more sleep during the rut than I do on an average night at my house. And I don't have a toddler kicking me in my balls all night long. So uh, you guys let your kids sleep in your bed. Dude, Come on. I can't, I cannot. So, you know, if I'm awake or if he wakes me up, it's, you know, go, take him and go back to bed. But if he, he sneaks in without me waking up, if he's uh, already sleeping and he like starts to move over and I'm kind of in that halfway dazed sleep, then I'm just, I just go back to bed, but <laughs> it really, uh, it really wears on a guy. I'm starting to get a lot of gray hairs in my beard, Zar. Oh man. Well, we're in our forties now. I know. Johnson, so I that, know. That well, happens, hey, I'm not 40 yet, but. Oh, when are you, when is November 5th, be soon. November okay, 5th. I was going to say mine was like a month ago, just under a month ago. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So. You decided to stay close on your 40th year of life when it comes to hunting. So does that mean next fall you're going to... No, I wanted to go to a, on an elk hunt for my 40th year of hunting. I got gotcha. Or being alive. I got gotcha. And that failed. 
So, but I, part of the reason I'm staying home is just because I finally have some good deer close to home to right. chase. Right. Um, you know, my lease that, dude, if I, if I, if I just didn't care about being gone all the time and my wife didn't care, like I love hunting my, my lease that's more of, of a rural area where I can get away from people and traffic and barking animals and just, and like enjoy nature the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, hunting here locally, like it's not as fulfilling for me, but it also keeps me at home. I get to see my kids more. I keep my wife happier. And fortunately, I have some good deer here to chase this year. Yeah. So I'm planning on spending a little bit more time. Not that I'm not going to go out west to my lease, because I certainly am going to spend some time out there. Uh, but it's also nice because, like, it allows me to not pressure that place early in the year and kind of save it for some of those, you know, three, four-day weekends during the rut when the hunting's really good. Right. Um, so it, it kind of works out pretty good for me. Cool, man. Well, let me wish you good luck on the rest of your fall. It's unfortunate Thanks. that your uh, elk hunt uh, that your elk hunt didn't work out, but it sounds like you had some fun yeah. in Nebraska. And uh, it's twenty twenty, dude. The world's going to shit. So <laughs> I expected nothing less than that. I don't even try to explain stuff to my kids anymore. Like if yeah. my if they are like, why does this happen? I'm just like magic. That's it's magic. <laughs> There's no reason People to are it. crazy. Right. I do want to, I want to talk about one thing before we, before we wrap this up. Let's right? do it. Let's do it. Because th- this is something that I've caught maybe some heat for from people that I've argued. Ooh, drama. About. drama. Um, well, no, and it's, it's, and you and I maybe have talked about this before, but it's shot distance at whitetail deer. Okay. Right. Like there's, I don't want to say, I, we always use this phrase, like there's nothing that makes me matter than this like there's a lot of things that make me matter than this the fact that my kids can't go back to school in person learning makes me matter than this but when it comes to hunting like as a bow hunter right when i started bow hunting dude the magic number was 20 yards yep that deer has got to be inside of 20 yards or you're not shooting it. you didn't even think twice about it i don't know how many deer passed by me at 30 yards as a young bow hunter that i was like he's too far to shoot right and as we've gotten older, and, and I get it that our technology is better and whatnot, like that distance just keeps moving further and further and further and further. And I watch these guys, you know, whether they be on YouTube or have their own shows or whatever, and, dude, they're shooting deer at 60 and 70 yards. And, dude, I saw somebody shoot, I don't know, some sort of animal at like over 100 yards with his bow. And I was like, Jesus Christ, why, why are you even a bow hunter at that point? Like to me, the challenge used to be, like the measure of your skill used to be how close can I get to an animal to kill it, right? And you prided yourself on your ability to get within 10, 12, 15, 20 yards. Like that was what bow hunting was about. And now it's like it's shifted and it's like there's no longer any sort of pride or sense of accomplishment in like how skilled of a hunter you are in terms of getting close to deer. Now it's just like how good of an archer am I and how far can I shoot a deer at? And now that's like the new badge of honor. And it's like, to me, it just seems backwards. I feel like there's this stupid ass trend of people like shooting deer at farther distances, which I think defeats the purpose of bow hunting to a certain degree. However, I also believe that everybody bow hunts for their own reasons. They can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. Uh, But there comes a point where I feel like it's getting to be unethical for, for numerous reasons. One of them being I've shot with a lot of people in my life. Dude, most people can't shoot for shit over 40 yards. I don't care what they say on the internet. Like, dude, you get over 40 yards in the woods, 
the wind's blowing, you got a wild animal, your heart's going crazy, you got a broadhead on, like it's just a different thing than standing in your backyard shooting at 40 yards. And most people that I've ever shot with, and I've shot with some people that are good hunters, good shots, like over 40 yards, man, those groups start to open up. And I get it that there's people out there that are going to like, ooh, not me, man, I'm the best. Yeah, yeah, good for you, great. But most people that I know, shit, most of them shouldn't even be shooting 40 yards, some of the people that I know. Yeah. You know, so it's like I think people overestimate their shooting ability, number one. And then number two, I think that there's there's so many variables in what can happen once you get past 40 yards. I mean, God dang it, there's leaves and twigs that you can't see, especially in low light. Those deer move awful freaking fast, you know. And, dude, they can duck an arrow at 30 yards. What do you think's happening at 50? Right. I shot a deer at 42 yards a couple of years ago, and I didn't find it. I didn't, didn't kill it. That was the last deer I shot that I will shoot over 40 yards. But, dude, he moved probably 16 inches before my arrow got to where it eventually hit him at. You know, so when this big deer came out, and the reason for my little rant here is, like, this was a giant deer. I don't know if he's 170, 180. Dude, I don't know. He's big. I've got him at 55, let's just say broadside in the wide open there's nothing between me and him but air he's looking the other way he's a monster dude he's 250 plus pounds i got a fairly big kill zone and i and i didn't shoot because i was like that number like i just don't feel comfortable with that and and i think there's a lot of people out there that when they get those opportunities especially the bigger the deer is the more risks they're willing to take yeah. you know because they're seeking that glory everybody wants that facebook like the instagram hearts whatever like they want that pat on the back they want that grip and grin photo where that's them with the big buck and like how they got it doesn't matter right at the point that you it's dead and it's on the ground provided you are able to kill it and find it and you throw that photo up there like nobody asked like how far was it where did you hit it how long did you take you to recover it like all they want is that hell yeah man awesome buck look at me i'm an awesome hunter and I just like, that's not me as a person. And sometimes I think because I, I, or we as a group kind of get lumped into these, you know, whether you want to call it professional hunters or celebrity hunters or whatever, just because you have a show and you've achieved some measure of commercial success that like people lump you into this group where like, you guys are a bunch of sellouts. You only do it for the money. You only do it for the sponsorships and you'll kill big deer at all costs no matter what it takes because it's all about this thing like that pisses me off because i'm not that guy i've never been that guy and i think people are going to see like when they eventually watch this video dude the deer's right there in front of me like yeah. i could have shot it all far? day long but like 54 50 the closest he got was 52 that shot wouldn't have been the best i probably had him at 55 55 completely know. broadside broadside in the open no idea i'm there looking the other direction or feeding with his head down but like i'm not confident enough in my ability dude my heart was racing a million miles an hour and i was like god damn the last thing i want to do is shoot this thing in the shoulder or freaking hay bag him or whatever like i'm just like that's not me and i'm not willing to take that chance you know i want the deer closer because that's what bow hunting is to me yeah right does and, that change and, and if not, you have a crossbow in your hand because you you use a crossbow right I don't think it does, dude. No. I, I mean, especially not in a tree stand. You guys ever shoot a crossbow out of a tree stand? It's a pain in the ass. Like, dude, unless I got something to anchor the crossbow on, 
like a, a lead sled or something or a few set of shooting sticks like a rifle. So you're trying to freehand a crossbow out of a tree stand at 55 yards. I'm still not taking that shot. I don't yeah. care what anybody says. Like, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, but I just, again, I think that there's this common misperception of people that, like, film hunt or do anything hunting commercially. And we make money through selling advertisements or sponsorships that, like, our only goal is to get more money and be more famous and have more Facebook likes. And you know what? For some people, that's probably true. And it probably is. But, like, for me, that's never been what this is all about. This has just been about because I love hunting, and these are my standards that I hold myself to, and I'm not going to take a shot that I don't feel confident in just because I want to get my face on the freaking next Matthews catalog. Yeah. Like, I don't care about that, yeah. you know? So, I, but, but again, like the shot distance thing, like I think everybody should have a limit in their head when they go out and they should adhere to that limit, right? You should know before you go in the woods, like this is my limit. And I hate when people say, well, my limit is different depending on, is it windy? Is it rainy? How big is the buck? Is he alert? Is he not alert? Is he feeding? Like there's so many factors and people are like, well, if this, then my limit's bad. If this, then that. And I just think like, for me, and I think a lot of people would benefit for it, they just need to pick the number that they're confident, like 100% of the time I can make a good shot and it's going to be ethical and it presents me the highest likelihood of making a kill. And anything under that, I'm shooting. Anything over that, I'm not shooting. And it pisses me off when I say, like, well, my limit's 40 yards. And people say, well, what if the deer's at 41, Justin? What are you, <laughs> you going to do? What if he's at 42? And it's like, well, you got to draw the line somewhere because then if I say, okay, fine, 42, I'm shooting. Well, what if he's at 43? It's like, well, I could play that game all day long yeah. until we're at 100 yards, you know. So, you know, 40 is my number. That's where I want to be. Preferably, I want him under 20, man. Yeah. That's what it's all about. That's that's what bow hunting is to me. Yeah. I just don't. It's such a strange world we live in. I feel like bow hunters nowadays look to their gear to make them a better hunter Amen. more than they look at themselves to become a better hunter. Yeah. Right? Like everybody's always looking for the next silver bullet. What's going to help me? Whether it's a call or a scent or a 800 grain arrow with the stupid ass $50 broadhead on the front of it. Like none of that shit means anything unless you can get close enough to an animal that you want to kill to shoot it. Yep. Like if everybody just focused on that and stopped worrying so much about obsessing over every little piece of equipment that's going to give them the finer edge, like they'd all be killing a lot more deer. That's my rant. I'm done. <laughs> I like rants, especially when you. I need a white. I need a white claw. I need a white claw. <laughs> Honey, give me a white claw. I did. I like that rant because some people rant. They don't have anything really to back it up with. You, you know, you you presented some valid points. Fifty four yards, fifty five yards complete broadside on a giant whitetail, and it really doesn't like. If it was a doe, I probably wouldn't take that shot. But if I felt like the conditions were right. I, dude, I, I might, I might take a fifty-five yard shot at a whitetail. With that said, I don't have any of my tree stands these days. Okay, in a Let place. Me just stop you there. Let okay. me stop you there. Okay. What if you were filming your hunt still, and oh, you had no. to show that hunt to everybody in the world? No, I number one, it, I wouldn't have that. I wouldn't have it on, like. There's just too much that can go that can go wrong when you're filming your hunts. I'm I. Right, but what if? You, but I had a camera guy. I mean, literally, yeah. Todd was sitting in the tree stand next to me filming. 
Yeah. Right. But 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 does it affect your decision? Because I think for a lot of people out there, like nobody ever needs to know the real story. Right. Right. That's just them and the deer. Yeah. So they're willing to do shit, and then they lie about it, or they don't tell you the whole story. Absolutely. You know, because there's nobody else there. But, like, when that camera's rolling, and part of my livelihood is derived from creating this content, and I'm not the kind of person that's going to pull punches or not show you something, yeah. right? And I guarantee there's plenty of dudes out there doing the same thing that I'm doing that have made those shots and made those decisions and not been on the positive end of it. Oh, dude. And that footage, that footage never sees the light of day. Yep, I, I 100% agree. And here's where it gets crazy. Because uh, 2018, when it took me, you know, I, I had a real hard quartering away shot on the buck that I killed, right? I hit him back. Uh, I eventually found him, recovered him, and I still, this last week, I still am getting... Instagram uh, messages from people telling me that what I did was unethical and that they, yeah. they no longer want to listen to my, they they've stopped listening to my podcast because of that unethical shot. And it's, it comes to a point where you're just like, I don't even want to talk about it anymore because I'm annoyed with what I have to do. I've, I shared my truth. I've told my story. I have, um, you know, this stuff happens to people Every single year, whether this deer and I shot this deer at like, oh, man, I forget, but it was like 12 yards, right? Or, right. or maybe 22 yards. Or I can't remember, but it was, he was close and I, I was off a little bit and that sucks and I'm sorry, but I, I guess I have a little bit more of a killer mentality than, uh, than than some people and you can take this you can take this a thousand different directions and you start talking about what is an ethical shot what is you know what is this an ethical shot should be something that kills an animal in 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 a roundabout way like right i'm not planning on gut shooting a uh, a deer and then finding him you know when the <laughs> in, while i'm shed hunting right right you know i don't i don't go out and do that but sometimes shit goes wrong Right. And, and that, that reason right there, it just like, and you take someone in the hunting industry. I mean, you have way more like bowhunting.com has way more uh, attention on them than what I do. And, you know, I'm sure that if one of your guys or you or, or, uh, Todd put a bad hit on an animal, even you guys would get shit, but it's the truth. Right, and oh I have. My God, are you kidding me? Yeah. I get shit even when I make a good shot of an animal. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the internet for right. you, dude. Everybody's right. looking to just pick at every decision that you make. I right. mean, this is the world we live in. And but coming back, yeah. wait one sec. Coming back to what you said about this this really short attention span that we all have. Who there's a group of people who are all they want to do it just for the the short term attention, right? This is where I think we as the hunting industry need to do a better job, not just the hunting industry, but the hunting community. We need to put more context between, you know, about when we kill an animal, like when, when Joe Schmo on the, you know, on the hunting, um, channel kills a deer and it's literally a trophy, you know, it's, it's them holding their deer smile and it just says big buck in the dirt. And then it's just all of their sponsors tagged. 
that pisses me off too because what is the story? What's the story behind that? All I see is a dead a dead animal, a dead deer, and a whole bunch of sponsors that have been tagged. I mean, mm-hmm. I do that too, but my goal is to explain to the people who view that content of what you know what's going on that there there is more than just a camera click that went into shooting this buck right i had to hike in i had to set up a tree stand i ran trail cameras i had to take that tree stand down i had to move it or in whatever world these people live in it's i had to plant this food plot i had to move this blind i had to you know shit we had a whole bunch of dry weather this food plot didn't come up oh finally we got rain by the grace of god and and you know all these things it's just we're missing the explanation behind killing a deer and i think that just leaves so much blank uh blank space on a page for the 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 dickheads to fill in with their own agenda and their own content right and when 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 they do that it just it just opens the door up for more negativity within the hunting community yeah you know, the unfortunate thing and i agree with what you're saying but i unfortunately i think if you were to step back even from just looking at this as a hunting community thing dude it's a societal problem oh absolutely it's it's social media in yeah. general like that's what that's what this is i mean social media like i hate it i absolutely hate it i don't know like i've had a few people that noticed but i mean i just completely dipped off of social media months ago and just i'm i'm out i'm out i updated instagram and stuff when we were on our hunt um you know it was a it was a business hunt and I had an obligation to, you know, produce some content and whatnot. But, like, for my personal life, like, what Justin is doing every day, like, I'm out. I'm gone. Yeah. See you later. I think social media is going to be the end of the world <laughs> as we know it. I just think it's an absolutely terrible thing. I think it's responsible for anxiety, depression, all the tribalism we're seeing, dude, the, the riots and shootings and, like, everything is so ungodly fueled by the – bits and pieces of misinformation that we get on social media you know i just i just think it's a societal issue you know that yeah. tra- it transcends hunting but yes i mean a great example i mean the problem with social media is it's the highlights of everybody's lives yeah you know it's literally only the best parts of everybody's lives cherry-picked for everybody else to see um and it's not a real representation of, of real life and i think the the single trophy photo of the big buck is the is the exact representation of that. Yeah. You don't know what happened behind it. And I think there are a lot of folks that will take long shots, bad shots, trespass, do things they're not supposed to, bait illegally, whatever, for that glory. For yeah. those those likes. There's got there's and people I, I in court a, for that like going through the the judicial process for that right now sure. who are quote unquote yeah. figureheads of the hunting industry. Yep. And, you uh, are absolutely correct, and it's a, it's a damn shame, yep. you know, that, that it has to be that way. So, I mean, for me, man, I'm just going to go hunt. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy time with, with my buddies, with my, my kids. I'm going to hope to kill some stuff and have a good time doing it, and I'm sure I will, when if and when it happens, it'll it'll get up on social. I do have, you know, a business kind of obligation that I need to fulfill in terms of, you know, I can't, I can't go entirely away unfortunately as much as i would like to (laughs) um but yeah i mean i've I've taken a break from social media and i feel like my life is better for it i've read a lot more books in the last few months my screen time has 
down on my phone. I bought a boat this spring. I've been fishing like every chance I can get. And uh, it's been my life that I feel like is better yeah. without Facebook. I can't wait till I can sell the Sportsman's Nation. What, what would you value the Sportsman's Nation at? Like $1.2 billion? Approximately. Probably billion. That was the first number. Yeah. I'll call Warren Buffett. We'll we'll get him to we'll buy it. Get it yeah, get him involved. Me and me and me and Warren are we're bros. Yeah. We go yeah. way back. Well anyway, my, my so. whole point there is when I become a, a billionaire, let's just be honest, it's probably worth nine hundred million. Okay. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. It's not the billion. But anyway, I'll disappear and no one will ever see me again. Or like no one will ever hear from me on social media again. I'll probably still live in the same house, to be honest with you. But uh, you just—I would pay somebody to run my social for me. <laughs> Turn it into Dan Blazarian, like a real celebrity. <laughs> 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 Are you gonna pay Dan to run your social? For no, me? no, no. I—I'm gonna make my life look like Dan Blazarian's oh, life. Just, just weed and hose and bikinis. <laughs> weed and hose. Man, that sounds like a rap album. <laughs> That sounds like a great life. Oh, maybe me and you could do a collab. Oh, let's collab. Weed, weed and hose. You know, it's funny story about <laughs> weed, dude. There is ditch weed growing everywhere in Nebraska. Yeah. And in Kansas, too. But, like, so our buddy Josh came with us on this hunt in the first night. Like, the first walk out, I was like, dude, there's freaking ditch weed everywhere. Like, it literally everywhere you look. Josh texts me, like, halfway through the night. He's like, man, there is marijuana growing right outside of this blind that I'm in. <laughs> And I was like, well, you better grab some and bring it back for us to the cabin tonight, dude. We could pay for this whole trip. You I, know, so he ended up, like, grabbing a piece and bringing it back. I'm like, you do know that's ditch weed, right? He's like, I don't even know what that is. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, driving through Colorado uh, last year, well, even, even this year when me and my wife went out on a vacation out there, they have fields of marijuana in Colorado, like soybean fields here in Iowa. Like, Do they have, do they have to have it, like arm guarded or something like those the people stuff, can just take it the stuff that i saw did not look like it even had a fence around it i wonder if it's just for like cbd or something it could, i mean it could stuff. it could be i don't know I, it could be but it grows grab hey. some next time you're there yeah you'll probably get sniped by somebody in a <laughs> from a drone right you know <laughs> watching their their weed fields that's hilarious. Uh, well, before this gets too much further off the deep end, I'm going to shut her down, Zar. And uh, good, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate your time and good luck the rest of the season. Thanks, man. You too. Huge shout out to Justin. Thanks for taking time, bud, and uh, coming on and BSing with me. And uh, good luck to you. Good luck to all of the people who are listening to this episode, following along on the Nine Finger Chronicles. Man, I really love the support that you guys give me through Instagram and Facebook. Thank you very much. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever, hit me up uh, via social or leave a review somewhere or check me, you know, go to the Sportsman's Nation email address. Other than that, huge shout out to our partners at the uh, uh, Nine Finger Chronicles because without them, this isn't possible. Average conservationists love their apparel. Vortex Optics, you guys should know by now, one of the elite optics companies in the industry ozonics you guys have heard me talk about them today already wasp broadheads <laughs> they slay uh lone wolf portable tree stands i'm mobile so that's it's made in america blah 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 best tree stand on the market thank you guys very much thank you thank you thank you 
I'm excited. I got I I don't know how to say it, so I'm just gonna say it the only way that I know how to. Good luck this fall to all of you, and please be safe because there's nothing more important than your life. So hunt with a hunt with a safety harness. Period. Hunt with a safety harness. If you're clumsy, hunt with a safety harness in a ground blind too. But I'm serious. Hunt with a safety harness. Have a good one, and we'll talk to you next week.